this is the glove I still kind of hang on to. In 2001, you might remember that the, the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm living in Phoenix, went to the World Series. This was a little bit of a shock that year that they made it to the World Series, and they played the Yankees. And it seemed like every year the Yankees were in the World Series, and they found some way to win the World Series uh, at the end. That was the time of dominance. And so for the, the Diamondbacks to get into the World Series, and to now have an opportunity to win the World Series because they took it all the way to the seventh game of the World Series. That was pretty exciting for us. Now, here's the thing. I was running youth groups at the time, and we had small groups for all of our youth. We would meet in the sanctuary, and then we would spread all over the church for a small group. And we had a pretty good thing going, about 50 or so teens that were in small groups on there. Well, guess what night the seventh game of the World Series was? It was Sunday night in that youth group. Now, I expected some kids to miss youth group to be home to watch this game, even kids that I never heard the word baseball out of their mouth. But what I got was uh, I started to get phone calls. This is before the Facebook and all that. I started to get phone calls from some teens. Guess where they were at? They were at the seventh game of the World Series. I started to get phone calls from some teens saying, Hey, Pastor Tom, what is here? And I'm trying to listen above the noise on their excitement on being in the, in the, the seventh game of the World Series. This is like being at the Super Bowl. It's the final game in the baseball season, and a winner is going to be declared. And the people that called, it just so happens that they were, they were kind of diehard Phoenix Suns fans. And they, I wasn't even sure they had ever heard of baseball or knew what that was. But somehow they had got tickets to the seventh game. Now here's the clincher for you. Um, they had four tickets to this game. The two of them had four tickets. Do you understand what that means? That means there was two tickets left over. Two. And now remember who their youth pastor is. Diehard baseball fan. I've already shared a youth group. I probably share almost every message, some baseball illustration. You'd think that would be hint enough alone. But no, did they call their youth pastor and say, hey, we have two tickets? No, they took someone else that had never heard of the game of baseball either. And the four of them enjoyed the fantastic night of the Diamondbacks actually coming back late in that game, if you remember, and winning the World Series. Um, yeah, this is probably a little bit of what I was doing that night, thinking I could have been at that game. Um, with a little more velocity in there. And I want you to know, that night, I was jealous. I wasn't just jealous. I wasn't like jealous in the sense like, oh, I wish I could do that too. I was jealous in the sense of, I want to do that. I want something bad to happen to you. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? You know, a few years ago, we went up to Boston and we vacationed in Boston. I have a friend that has a house and he was gone for the summer, so he loves choosing. And we did all Boston's tours and sites, which I'll be honest with you, I cared about those a little. What I cared about was Fenway Park. And so we went and we did the tour of Fenway Park and, and walked all around um, that. Now, I go to museums when we're on vacation, and if it's the $5 range, I'm like, do you really want to go? Is it like a drive around it? Can we see it from the road? Um, but Finley Park, I think I shelled out 20 bucks a ticket for us all to go and just do the tour of the stadium. What just so happened, even though the game was sold out, that we were able to finagle uh, uh, a couple tickets to take my boys there. Finagle meaning I had to pay out to get those tickets. Um, 
And I made sure I took all the pictures of this huge, I don't know if you're aware of this, 231 foot wall that's called the Green Monster that sits in left field. And I want you to tell you, I want to tell you why I took those pictures. I, I guess for my own as well, but I have a few baseball fans uh, back in Arizona and California where I grew up. And I knew getting to the East Coast would be nearly impossible for them. So I wanted to let them know I'm standing in front of the Green Monster. And if I'm honest, probably a part of that was to say, I'm here doing this, you're not. <laughs> why is it we live that way often? Why is it that that kind of attitude, of, it just sinks into our world? The thinking of wanting other people to know what we're doing that they're not, or on the flip side, as the, as the 2001 World Series, being upset that they are doing when we cannot. Solomon is going to hit this hard. Take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. We'll walk through 1 through 3 already. So we're in verse 4. This is what he says, starting in chapter 4, verse 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because why? They envy their neighbors. But this too, he said, is meaningless, like chasing the wind, the popular phrase we've already come to see with Solomon. Solomon says, look, I have noticed, looking around, that, uh, that people seem to be motivated to success. Plenty of people are out there working hard or doing things, being creative, using their talents, using their abilities, and all those kind of things. But the more I look at it, when I start to peel back different layers, what I have discovered, Solomon is saying, is how often people are motivated by their envy of their neighbors, envy of others. In the sense of saying, they have, so now I must have as well. As we used to say, keeping up with the Joneses in the neighborhood. And here's Solomon, wisest man in the Bible is what he's called, saying, yeah, that's true. It's completely true. And I've observed it, that we chase after envy. But he says this too is meaningless. He's going to get to why in just a little bit here. In fact, in verse 3, if you take a look at that, or 5, excuse me, fools hold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. Verse 6, and yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, what does that quite mean? And Solomon's getting at. Give me just a second, we'll unpack that. Let me talk, let me give you some terms here that we use often. The word covet. We use often. Covet is really is yearning or longing for what someone else has. Um, and, and actually, there is a difference in a couple words that we use often. The first one being covet. So if you think about, you long for something you do not have. I don't have that. I really, I really would like that. It'd really be nice to have that. Yesterday morning, my son ran cross country. Now, um, if you'll know, cross country is not often the most popular sport in the high school or college ranks, right? Um, however, yesterday, in the pouring hurricane rain, when even football games were canceled or postponed, uh, the cross country runners were out running their course. So I was pretty impressed by their toughness because it was a sloppy mess. But the whole time I was thinking, man, I wish I had some good rain gear. 
this this three-hour pop show from Walgreens is just not getting the job done at all. I mean, most of the time it was just flapping across my face in the wind like this. I couldn't see anything. I was really wishing for some good rain gear, you know, pants and, and the top and the jacket and the whole bit. And then yesterday morning, I probably would have dropped some serious money on rain gear at that moment uh, because that, that's what I was thinking of. It's a long game for something you don't have. Covet, the root of it is usually somebody else has it. You see somebody else with it. So you would like it as well. That's kind of the definition, the dictionary definition of covet. Envy is very, very similar with a little twist on it. Envy is this hidden motivator that comes from what someone else has. I mean, envy actually seems to lead us to something when we envy from someone else. Now, we have to take a look a little bit at the, at the biblical word here as well. This this word, we often think of the word envy just in, t- in terms of maybe like a verb. Uh, we think of it maybe as a noun. You know, I uh, had envy, or I, I'm, I'm envying, or I have envy of. But in the Bible, it actually talks about this word envy as if it's a state of mind. To envy something. Like, the, the writer here is actually suggesting that, that it actually puts us in a state of mind when we envy someone or we have envy for something. So it's not just the action or the thought, but it actually leads us to this kind of state of mind. It's longing for someone's possessions or their qualities. And it often leads to this, discontentment or resentfulness. Now it starts to make a little sense when we think about the word envy. Envy. You see, what Solomon is saying here is that when you are motivated by envy of what your neighbors have, you often have a hard time having good relationship and interaction with your neighbor. You actually have a very difficult time having this open, good relationship with someone else in your life because you are in this state of mind where you're constantly saying, why do they have? What's so special about them? Why can't I have as well? And so it puts us in this state of mind. You see, if we let that take over, if we're not too careful, I think you're smart enough and you've lived long enough to understand what that's like to have that type of envy. Sometimes it's even difficult just to stand in front of that person and just communicate and talk with them. And they've done nothing wrong, but because we've put ourselves in a state of envy. So what motivates envy? Let's look at these couple things, and then we'll get back to talking about verse 6 as, as Solomon speaks to us. Uh, we maybe think of jealousy. I would like it too. Yeah, I think the overarching jealousy is, is definitely there. But let me peel back it and talk about a couple things you may not have thought of. Here's number one. It's the word scarcity. Scarcity. That we actually, at times, when we envy, that, that we can actually get ourselves to the thought that there's only so much in this world. There's only so much of this. And if they have it, well, I can't have it. So I would like them to not have it, and I would like myself to have it. Envy leads us to that type of state of mind. And it's like buying into this, this scarcity thought. When we start to think about it in terms of God, we start to say things like, well, God is blessing them, as if God would not have enough blessing to go around to the rest of us. And we enter into this state of mind. Here's the lie of scarcity. There's not enough to go around. That's a lie. There's just not enough. Now, you might say, okay, Tom, 
True, but there's only one starting quarterback position, right, on the football team. They only one first chair for the instrument that my child plays. Uh, sure, of course. But when we let this sneak into all facets of our life, we start to look down the street in our neighborhood, and we think about the houses and the lawns and the cars that go in them and the toys that the kids come rolling out of the garage in and on and on and on. We enter the state of mind. There's just, there's not, it's not enough. Then what happens? We enter into this false hopelessness. Like we've created our own hopelessness. There's nothing for me. God doesn't have anything. God can't bless me. And here's God the whole time saying, Wait a second, what path did you just take yourself down? Because uh, my word says nothing like that. And you just walked yourself down this path to hopelessness. And my very meaning for sending my son was to bring hope. Here's the danger in this, uh, your outline. You define yourself by what you lack. Have you done that? You don't have something, so you start to define yourself. I am this person, I am in this class, I'm of this value compared to my peers because I don't have, often we're talking about something, some material thing, though it goes beyond that. Envy puts us into this place if we camp out in envy. And that's why Solomon is saying here so strongly, he's saying that this is meaningless. This will bring no value and no meaning to your life if you walk down this. Here's the question that envy will always ask. Why not me? Why can't I have that? Why did God not give that to me? Why don't I have more of what he gave to me? Why can't I do that? Why does this person get but I don't? Envy will always ask that question. And you can understand the dangers. In fact, I would guess those of you who are parents, you have walked down the path with your kid where you have actually built into your kid and you verbalized to your kid the exact opposite of that question. You said, don't get in the pattern of always asking what's in it for me. Ask, what can you do for someone else? What can you offer someone else? What what part of a solution might you be? This afternoon when we do our shape class, I really hope you'll stay even if you didn't sign up. I'm already getting a whiff of the barbecue standing up here, so uh, another reason to be brief in the sermon. But that whole class is about letting us understand how God has uniquely gifted us so that we don't have to get by into this, this lie in the church world that that we go to church and we say, hey, what's in it for me? What's in it for my kids? What do they have there for me? But we say, no, no, no. I'm being equipped, empowered, and built up to now to serve and to give and to minister and to be a blessing to others. But envy won't ask that question. Envy will always ask the question, why not me? What's in it for me? What's, what's more? And envy almost always looks at it from the perspective of not having Here's the second thing that uh, I want to bring to your attention, and even above jealousy and scarcity is this word perspective. Perspective. Have you ever just defined something entirely different depending on what perspective you look at it? Now, I just have readers up here um, because I I went to the doctor and had the, the whole... The whole deal done, I got glasses and got transitions and the bifocals and all that kind of stuff because, you know, mainly I turned 40 years old. So um, I guess I I have to do that. 
Um, but it works, and immediate eye improvement, if it's available, should be at the top of your priority list. So, um, so it took me a couple years, and then it became top of mind. So anyway, I've got readers now because I lost that chart glasses. I don't have any idea where it is. So, so these are just readers. So my perspective right now is to look at you, and you look pretty good out there. You're in focus. You, you know, you all look up okay. You look all right out there. And if I put on my readers. Uh, you look very fuzzy and blurry to me, and you don't quite look right. But if I glance down at my piece of paper, my piece of paper looks very good. Um, but if I take them off, there's two words for every word on, on the page down here. What am I talking about? Perspective. Perspective. It's all how you're quite looking at things. Can I tell you, when you get into the perspective of envy, when you get to the perspective of lacking, not having, them having, and I don't having, eh, don't having, that's not accurate, no, not having, then you interpret things away. You would never interpret them if envy wasn't part of the equation. In fact, we go all the way in this interpretation, this perspective, where we will actually start to declare negative and even evil things about that person because they might ha happen to have what I so desperately would like to have myself. Because they have and I don't have, then I look at them and go, they're kind of snobby, kind of stuck up, kind of aloof, you know? they're not very kind of a dog, I mean, whatever. You, that, you just walk through these type of things and start to declare these things. Why? Perspective. You're looking at it from perspective, and at the root of that perspective, is envy. Imagine if I just spent the rest of today and I just flip-flopped the perspective on my glasses. I only wore the readers when I needed to see out here and took them off when I needed to see here. There's just a lot of things I would miss that day. It's just things that wouldn't look the same. In fact, I signs I might run through on the road and certainly things I couldn't read on the paper. And God says, do you want to miss out on life around you? You want to miss out on the blessings that I'm offering you in your life? Do you want to miss out on the way I've designed you and built you up so that you can be a blessing to others? Then just, just start with a vantage point of envy. And you'll miss it all. You'll miss it because of the perspective. Here's what James has to say on it. He's pretty blunt about it. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires of war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you don't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it back or take it away from them. Now, he's pretty blunt and strong about it. You might be saying, hey, hey, Tom, I'm not breaking into anyone's house and stealing and taking. No, we just get ourselves to camp out in the mindset of envy. And James so desperately just wants us to understand this, to hit the last line of the verse. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, if this morning you thought, man, I really want that worship, and that verse is awesome because now I'm asking and that is coming my way. I will not envy my neighbor's worship anymore. I will just ask. That's not quite how it works. There's another other verses that teach us about prayer and longing and what God's provisions are. But God is basically saying, everything you need in life, your fulfillment, your satisfaction as this series is walking through it, your joy in life, 
you don't have it because your perspective's off. You've been looking for that perspective in what you don't have and what your neighbors have and how you might scheme and claw your way to get it as well. When here I'm telling you that the right perspective is just go before God. Spend your time with God. What I have found in my years of being a Christian is the more time I'm with God, my list of asking changes. What I ask for, what I desire from Him, what I want Him to see through me, or what I like Him to give to me, it changes. Why? Perspective. It's a perspective shift, and envy is being squeezed out. So you think, see things here, you're filling the blanks, you see things from an evil eye or from a good eye. Do you see things from an envy perspective or do you see things from a godly perspective? As James is saying here, this, this envy perspective, as he's picking up on it, this envy perspective, it leads to all kinds of destruction. Even listings the be sinful type of things here. But God gives provision. So what's Solomon's answer to envy here? He says it in verse 6. Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, let me pause for a second here because some of you are like, hey, what's wrong with hard work? We should be working hard. That's not really what Solomon's getting at, uh, that you don't need to work hard when you're working. Um, if, you, if we follow along the last couple of weeks, we know that that's, that's not it. It is this desire and longing to gain and to gain. And here, through the avenue of, of work would be what he's talking about here. He says, look, better to have like one amount of peacefulness than to have like full hands of your resources and your money to go out and get all those things you've been so desirous to have. Better just to have one small amount of peacefulness, of satisfaction, than to have the other things. And again, he lets us know because it's chasing after wind. Do you understand what he says? Meaning when he says chasing after wind, it's impossible to grasp. Better to have that. Can I just tell you, Christians, we're struggling in this area. We're struggling in the area of being content with what God has given us, what he's offered us. We're having struggle just being blessed by what it is he's actually put us to manage or the resources that he's put in front of us. Now that doesn't mean that if you're like, hey, I've got to pay the house note and I've got to feed my family, I need a little bit extra money in my job, I'm working on a raise, it's great. It's not what Solomon's speaking against here. Solomon's speaking against that when we get so desirous of what we don't have, it's almost as if what we have cannot please us. Only the pursuit of what we don't have is what actually motivates and drives us. And he calls it the chasing of wind. Do you remember Psalm chapter 23? Do you remember the first verse that comes out of that? Maybe you memorized it when you were a kid or you've heard it at times. The Lord is my shepherd. What? I have all that I need. The, the understanding of believers that as Christians, and he says, if we're going to go and we're going to serve God, if we're going to claim him as the Lord of my, our life, then what he's saying is, I have offered you all that you need. I give you all that you need. And we struggle sometimes in that. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm really excited about being a follower of yours. You're the love of my life. And then I just busted for five days 
so that I can have something that God probably would say, it's not going to bring enjoyment and satisfaction in your life. I remember the time where it was a, a third kid on the way, and we were in a little sedan. Uh, it was an old 83 sedan from uh, Datsun, not Sun, Nissan, it was Datsun. Um, and it didn't have air conditioning, I lived in Phoenix. So we felt like it might be time to upgrade vehicles, right? And I said, this is it, this is time. It's, it's time for the minivan. You know what I'm talking about time? So that time? Yeah. It was time for the minivan. And so we started hunting and searching for the right minivan at the right price. I couldn't find the right minivan at the right price. Like it just didn't exist. And I had just camped on the idea that we had to buy new. Um, so it's got to be brand new. It's got to have like 12 miles on it when we drive over that kind of thought. So I worked every which way I could. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I spent so much hours scouring and scanning and, and uh, stalking certain salesmen in certain locations, thinking, you know, maybe they would come back and say, yeah, you know, I'll just take it for free. I, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to get, but I worked my tail off then. Finally, I don't know, somewhere a couple months into the process, three or four months into the process, I, I tracked down the right guy in the right situation, and, and um, I got it. Um, the next day, I remember just waking up thinking, what an idiot. What was I thinking? These terms are terrible. <laughs> this monthly payment is terrible. i got to do this for six years? What? what did I do here? Why? Because it was the pursuit. I was just so into the pursuit because I thought, now this is what I need. Can I just be honest with you? I was youth pastoring at the time. I had a church employee, full time at church. 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 I cannot remember one time praying over that decision. I can't remember one time saying, Lord, would you have this for us? Lord, if you would have this for us, do you have the right location with the right terms for us? I plowed ahead. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have your own story that just came to mind? I want to leave you with a, a last a phrase here. I want to make sure this just embedded in you because I think what Solomon is saying to us here, this kind of encapsulates the whole thing, is this. Your faith is not dictated by your circumstances. You know what I'm saying, church? Do you understand? Your faith is not dictated by your circumstances. That when we say the phrase, you know, like, I, I want to have strong faith, but just the things I'm dealing with in life right now are just kind of beating me down. The word uh, of the Bible, what Solomon is getting at here, is that your faith is not dictated by that. You still can claim your faith. It doesn't mean everything we walk through is easy, but you can claim your faith, even in the midst of hard circumstances. Your friends, your coworkers, your family that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what? They could care less how you respond when things are going well. They don't care. They expect you're happy and things are going on. They expect that's the time you're going to offer them some advice for their life, right? But what is it like in your life when things aren't as going as well? When the circumstances aren't as rosy, what does faith look like then? Envy will always put us in a position where our faith is regulated by our circumstances. But when we, when we claim the following God in our faith, then the circumstances don't dictate that. There was a, a story of a Wesleyan group, our denomination. A Wesleyan group went down to Haiti years back after the, just the devastation and destruction of the tsunamis, earthquake, and, and, um, and you know, uh, just thousands and thousands have lost their life. 
and that obviously is rough that they're now dealing with a, a situation now with a hurricane. But this missionary family went down, and there was a particular pastor who in his village it was about 90% destroyed, about 90% death. He was a pastor. The church was gone. Almost everyone from his church was presumed dead. Um, and uh, through the translator, the, the group leader asked the pastor, tell me, how has this affected your faith, all this death and devastation, everything that's gone on around you? And through the translator back, the pastor says, I don't understand the question. Well, the leader of the, this missionary group decided that well, it, must, it must be lost in translation, how I said it, how it was interpreted, that kind of thing. So they reworded how they wanted the interpreter to ask it. The interpreter again asked the pastor, and the pastor responded through the interpreter, what does that have to do with my faith? As if saying, all this death, all this destruction, all that's going on around, all that I have lost as a pastor of this church, what does that have to do with my faith? It's a powerful declaration of his faith in Jesus Christ. Things happen. Bad things happen. We go through rough things. You have times in your life where you have, and you have times in your life where you don't have. And all the while, Jesus never changed. God's provision has never been different. God's desire for this relationship with you has been just the same. Your faith is never dictated by your circumstance. The most powerful evangelistic tool you have is your faith. It's so I want to encourage you, church, today, not to camp out in envy, not to camp out in this place. Follow the words of Solomon and these words that say, envy is chasing after wind. It's meaningless. It'll bring no value, no joy, no satisfaction. Let me ask you this question as we close. Church, in this area, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied in your life? If not, I want to really encourage you to evaluate what was discussed this morning. Evaluate it against the words of Scripture. And my prayer is that you, your faith in God will win out over circumstances, over material things, over anything that has put you in the state of envy. Let me pray for you, Miss. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I will admit so many times in my life, and I'd love to say it was all before I became a Christian, before I became a pastor, but that just wouldn't be true. Well, there's so many times where I seek into this mindset of wanting what I don't have. But Father, that, that can throw me off enough. There's been times where I've actually looked and I thought negative upon someone else. Because of what they had, and I didn't. And then there's even been above that, Lord, the times where I did get. And there was this knee-jerk desire to flaunt. Father Solomon said, and I can attest to, that was all meaningless. None of it brought joy and satisfaction in my life. None of it brought anything good. And so, Lord, I want to just pray this morning if there be anybody sitting in here, Lord. Anybody that's just put themselves in the state of envy and they're just camped out there and they're having such a hard time. Lord, it may be destroying relationships around there, someone at work, somebody in their neighborhood, a family member. Father, when this morning, would you heal them of that envy? Would you rid them of that? Would they just lay it right now at your feet? Would just, they give it away? Would they just say, Lord, that, that's not for me to have to deal with? You give to them and you give to me, okay. 
you can have this much, doesn't mean we want to take that much. And so even though you heard this morning that we've entered into agreement, don't think, oh, well, it's good. The church can borrow money. I don't need to give my building commitment anymore. This is actually the most important time to do that because everything we've been talking about in plan and on paper now turns into actual reality. Real dollars, real dirt being moved, that kind of stuff. And so really want to encourage you in that way. The three, three ways we've been talking about it, I just want to remind you quickly. Uh, one, if you uh, were with us uh, at the start of our capital campaign in April 2015, but you did make a commitment for, for some reason, we're asking, would you join in and make a commitment for the remainder of the capital campaign, which goes through 2018, uh, May of 2018? If you're new with us during that time period, we'd love that you plugged in with us. And we want to invite you to, to join in with that capital campaign. In fact, this morning we put a blue card, the same blue card we worked through in the capital campaign that the whole church worked through last year. And so we would encourage you, if you're new with us, to go ahead and make a commitment for now through the end of the capital campaign. Not three years out, just the end of this campaign that's currently running. Um, and then finally, this is one's really important because now I'm talking to people that we're in the same boat. We made a commitment in April of 2015. We made a monthly commitment that we would carry through. And uh, uh, you know, according to our staff, we're probably down uh, 25% on those, on the fulfilling of those uh, commitments. And so I would encourage you, if you made a commitment, then would you would you step back up and get back on board with that monthly commitment now through the end of the campaign? And you're going to see just, just those three things right there will make a huge impact. Uh, when it comes time to uh, actually start doing draws on the construction dollars, how much money we'll have on hand just to hand to our general contractor directly and not have to borrow. And so uh, if, you would, if you would step up in those areas, that would be, that'd be awesome for this project. I'm going to invite our ushers to go ahead and come and take our...